I want to welcome you to the Retro Rogues Live. Please pay attention to our warning graphic. It states that the Retro Rogues Live show is intended for an adult audience and not intended for children under the age of 13. Parental discretion is advised. Again, I want to welcome you to the show. My name is Dave Beatty. Um, I, you know, I always flub up the beginning. Like, I always cover how we're supposed to do this, and I'm always the one that messes it up. So let me just go ahead and take a step back. This is episode 149 of the Retro Rogues Live. On tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about Fanatics' latest plans, accusations against Wada Games, and new figures from the Four Horsemen, and actually quite a bit more. Should be an altogether an interesting yet different episode of the Retro Rogues Live. My name is Dave Bate. I'm one of your hosts. In the last 30 years, I've been a professional illustrator, illustrator, and graphic designer. Worked on a lot of fun things that some people have heard of, such as uh, Batman Incorporated, Justice League of America, and even Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. But enough about that. I want to welcome back my great co-host. This is Mr. Eric Alexander. Eric, please tell the folks, hopefully you're watching or listening at home, some of the fun things you have worked on as a creative professional. Yes, hello everyone. I'm Eric Alexander, also known as Bass God 14. That's Bass God 14, not Bass God. That's Bass God, like a bass guitar. And I am the Chief Financial Officer of Bad Bob Productions. Currently, I am the executive producer on a film called Staycation, which has been filming on location in California and has been filming basically all over the world via Zoom. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So um, if you see this hand waving around and you're wanting to know what's up with that, um, I'm not trying to be like Michael Jackson. This <laughs> hand does not have a glove. And this one does. This one has a partial glove because unfortunately... Um, I had a traumatic incident uh, yesterday, and I'm still kind of recovering from it, but we're not going to spend any more time on it other than that. Just let you know, I am partially injured, and this hand is covered for a reason, and part of it is so if you're eating your dinner, you you won't lose it. All right, so, all right, so tonight's episode is going to be a little weird. Um, we don't typically try to get political on the show, but there's some things that are going on that relates to pop culture relates to a lot of our various fandoms that I feel like we should really, we should really talk about. Um, I think uh, I see those of you in the rogues gallery, uh, wishing me to heal soon and expressing your concern. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate that. Um, I don't, I don't want to get into it, but it, it, it'll be fine. It's just probably going to take three or four weeks for <laughs> take. Now, David Mott says, ouch, and uh, Matthew yeah. said, heal soon. He said, have a great show, guys. I know Matthew oh, sometimes you. has some uh, issues with his uh, internet, uh, so he may not be here very long. So, Matt, Matt we do appreciate you uh, at least uh, tuning in for a little bit. We appreciate that. And, and if you are around, uh, feel free to to comment, of course, on, on, our, on these topics and everything like that. And uh, Hollywood Jackson is also in the house. He says, hi. So, hey, back to you, Hollywood. And he also says, no means no. <laughs> right, it does. It does. It does unless there's two dogs. And then no means nothing. That's all I'm going to say. Sometimes with dogs, no means nothing. All right. So um, let's go ahead. And, and, and I have a news story. So I want to start the top of the show here with a news story. And before we do that, I want to introduce... An, an idea, an idea to everyone. So I was talking to, to Eric about this earlier. 
Now, Erica, you said you hadn't heard of distributism before, correct? Yeah, it, it's 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 pretty ironic uh, because uh, it's basically twelve and a half years of Catholic education, and and I can't I can't recall that term. The concept I can recall, uh, but the term itself I, I I never remember hearing it before. All right, so we're going to talk about it as 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 an esoteric concept that we want to have in our mind as we go into the, today's show. So we're going to start with this. This is coming from Wikipedia. And it basically says, distributism is an economic theory asserting the world's productive assets should be widely owned rather than concentrated. Developed in the late 19th and early 20th century, centuries, distributism was based upon the principles of Catholic social teaching. Distributism views both laissez-faire capitalism and state socialism as equally flawed and exploitive, favoring economic mechanisms such as cooperatives and member-owned mutual organizations, as well as small businesses and large-scale competition law reform, such as antitrust regulations. So this is the concept that we want to keep in our mind as we actually look at this first news story that will lead us into our, our discussion. And I know you're thinking to yourselves, where in the hell is the trading card talk, Dave? We're not <laughs> doing that tonight. We're not doing that tonight. All right, so this news story is on CNBC. It directly relates to the Fanatics thing that we actually talked about. I think it was last week we talked about it. Basically, Fanatics bought essentially the rights from a lot of the players' organizations and as well as the professional sports organizations and basically torpedoed Top's potential IPO offering that they were working on and a lot of other things they're working on. Basically, essentially crippling Tops. I, I, I forget what it is that Tops has left, but it, but it ain't much. It ain't much, everybody. <laughs> so if you want to read this story... Um, I'm going to copy it, and I'm going to put it into the chat for those of you who, who might want to get in into the weeds on this one. This, again, this is not spam. This is the news story we're talking about, if you're curious to, to dig into it. Um, I'm going to read just a little bit of it, and I'm going to explain to you, theoretically in my mind, what this means. So it says, uh, sports merchandise company Fanatics now valued at $18 billion with new investors, including hip-hop mogul Jay-Z. This was published on Tuesday, and this is by uh, Jabari, Jabari Young. Apologies if I'm saying your name correctly. Not my intention. Key point, sports merchandise company Fanatics secured $325 million money raised to expand into new sectors within its parent umbrella, and it's now valued at $18 billion, sources told CNBC. Investors in the race include music tycoon, tycoon Jay-Z and his entertainment company, Rock Nation. So we're going to just read just a little bit of this. Sports merchandise company, Fanatics Secure... Well, we've already kind of hit that. Let's go ahead and go down. Fanatics is seeking new opportunities like sports gambling, and this move explains why it's been hiring new executives. Well, that's interesting. So they're they're interested to, to get into that. Let me back up here because I skipped a little too far ahead. 
And above that, it says the Florida-based e-commerce firm plans to focus on revenue streams outside of merchandising. The division will be led by Fanatics Chairman Michael Rubin, Boss Service Chief Executive Officer. Fanatics claims it will make $3.4 billion in revenue this year. Wow. We're going to skip down uh, about four, three or four paragraphs down. It's still unclear the role Fanatics might play within the sports gambling sector. The company explored acquiring sports gambling provider PointsBet, but those discussions ended. Investors in the fund, right? Oh, we already been on this. We don't need to talk about that anymore. All right, so let's get. So it says Ruben is transforming Fanatics into a more globally focused digital sports company that can serve various sectors within sports, merchandise, gambling, ticketing, and the NFT marketplace. Fanatics plans to leverage its over 80 million user base tied to its merchandise division. It's really interesting because the further that you get into the story, and if you're curious, I recommend you, you go read it. The further you get into this story, what's interesting to understand is that they raised a bunch of money and they're consolidating all of these different sports aspects, right? Different aspects of the sports business. Trading cards, merchandise, gambling, centralizing it all into one, one place, right? Centralization, okay? We see this all over the place, you know, and, and you know, and their motives... May, you know, maybe fan-driven, but I have heard speculation from people in the sports card collecting community. And there's a lot of concern about what this means, for example, the sports card shop guy that sells the sports cards, right? What does this mean for the guy who buys the boxes of cards and, and you know, the wax packs or whatever and cracks them open and, and flips them on eBay? This article even goes so far as to talk about one of the things that they can offer that they're wanting to get further into is providing a marketplace for people to sell their cards, going after eBay and whoever else. Now, disruption of business is part of business, okay? I understand this concept. That's just something that happens. But I feel like this there's this inherent danger, and we're seeing it all over over the place, it seems like. And you may be asking yourself, well, what does this have to do with comic books? What does this have to do with comic book characters, Dave? I don't care about this. Well, Topps had the rights to do Star Wars. One of the other companies we're talking about in this is Upper Deck. Upper Deck's been doing Marvel stuff that they might they might be looking to buy a trading card company. Um, so that does that well, one of the actual makers of the cards, right? Not just buying the rights, but actually buying one of the companies. Panini was another one I've, I've heard rumors about, too. So it gets into this weird nebulous thing where it's becoming all centralized, right? And I'm sure, as someone speculated, there would be good things that come from this and bad things that come from this. So we don't know for sure. But I do feel like the card shop owner and maybe the guy who flips the cards might be on the bad side of this deal. I mean, what do you think about this, Eric? I mean... This feels like the centralization thing that we're seeing that happens is happening all the time right now, right? It's it's interesting because you're talking about things that traditionally 
are not put together in the same company. Uh, in Arizona, we're going to be getting sports betting in the on the 9th, I believe, is officially when sports betting is going to be open in Arizona. It's supposed to coincide with the start of the NFL season. Um, I've actually been kind of looking forward to it, honestly, because I, I've wanted to to dabble in, in sports betting a little bit myself. But it's kind of interesting to, to, to see this concept of, first of all, fanatics, I mean – it's a, it started out as a merchandising company, you know, that people have probably seen the ads on the air, uh, you know, where fanatics is like sports, everything or something like that is what they would say. Meaning like they'd have hoodies, t-shirts, baseball caps, jerseys, all, you know, all, all these different levels of sports merchandise. And of course now that's expanded into trading cards, uh, which you can, you can kind of see is okay. Okay. Well, that's, kind of like the same thing kind of not really kind of you know what i mean because you, traditionally you don't think of a company that makes uh sports wear you know t-shirts hoodies baseball caps as making trading cards but that's exactly what fanatics is doing and they made that big move that has has no doubt crippled you know absolutely crippled um tops at least for the future and uh that goes along with nfts uh, Tops was going to be getting into NFTs, and I'm sure a lot of those plans are pretty much sunk at this point because Fanatics is going to be doing that as well. But now you're talking about things like sports betting. One one that you kind of glossed over, which I think is really significant, Dave, is ticketing. They're talking about ticketing. In other words, they want to be like Ticketmaster and actually uh, be a venue where you buy, you know, your tickets when you go to an actual game, uh, which is which is pretty crazy. These are things that traditionally are not all lumped together is what is, is the basic point that I'm, I'm trying to make here. And it's very interesting that they're doing this and the repercussions of it are something that we're not going to know for a long time. First of all, it is going to take them a while to consolidate all this stuff. It sounds like at least for the time being, their foray into uh, sports betting has failed. They weren't able to acquire that company, according to the article. But that doesn't mean they're not they're going to stop trying. You know, I've become very aware of this because I've been following the story in Arizona. You know, there are multiple multiple um, venues out there that you can do sports betting online, and then these these places are also going to have in person sports books as well in Arizona and it's all over the world. You know, we have companies that are based in Australia that are going to be opening shop in Arizona. We have companies from uh, the UK that are going to be opening shop here in Arizona. So it's definitely not all consolidated. Um, and there's an opportunity with this kind of money uh, that these guys are raising and that kind of valuation that they easily could acquire one of these smaller uh, sports betting sites or something like that. And then they've got that. And then if they do get some sort of competitor, because I can't see them necessarily taking out Ticketmaster, but if they get some competitor of Ticketmaster, then they, they got their in into ticketing. So it, the bottom line is we have no idea what the consequences of all this is going to be. We really don't, because these are not things that traditionally are put together, you know, in, in one nice, neat stack. Um, anytime you have consolidation, uh, people are going to lose their jobs. There's just no doubt about that. That is always going to happen in consolidation. Um, it, it, and we, we, we've, ta we've, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. 
you know, we mentioned like I brought up Tommy Boy one time when we were talking about something. And in Tommy Boy, of course, the idea was that, you know, Dan Aykroyd's character was this this mogul who basically, you know, was in this chain of, of, of car park places like an auto zone or something like that. And he wanted to buy Chris Farley's father's company because of the name, because the name was associated with quality. But he didn't want anything that made it quality. In other words, he didn't want the factory. He didn't want any of the workers. He just wanted to take his own part and put it in the box. That's literally what he said. Is like he just wanted to take the part and put it in the box because he knew he could sell more of his own parts if it was in their box, even though it had, other than that, had nothing to do with the company. He wanted to shut down the the actual manu, you know, the actual manufacturing uh, plant. Uh, that made the parts. He wanted nothing to do with that. And of course, you know, Chris Farley's character is trying to save the, the, the factory and all that stuff. This happens all the time. It happens all the time. And in that scenario, at least it's like the same thing. It's at least kind of linear. Like it's like, okay, this guy makes parts. He wants to buy a part company and he just wants to use the name. It sounds a little unethical, but at the same time, it's like, well, at least it's the same thing. These aren't the same thing. You know, trading cards and uh, sports betting and ticketing uh, are not the same thing. You know, and it, they're they're sports related, but they are by no means the same thing. They're they're not even considered in the same you know stratosphere, if you will, other than saying they're quote unquote sports related. So, again, the bottom line is we have no idea once all this consolidation happens, if it does, because there are question marks, um, what the consequences of it will be. Other than we know that people are going to lose jobs, I'm pretty sure of that. Well, and that, that's kind of my thing. Here's and, and and the reason I wanted to bring this up and how this segues into everything, in, into a larger conversation. Um, when Marvel looked like they were going, they made the deal with Sony or whatever, or when it looked like they were going to get the rights back to, you know, Ghost Rider and blade and whoever else like i just remember all of us and well not all of us i remember a large portion of us in the fandom community of people i know anyway we're excited because we like the idea of the interconnected universe right where all the different characters can interact with each other like in the comic books and at the time it seemed like a good idea that of them getting the control of these things back and when a lot of this conversation was happening, I don't remember. I don't remember specifically in terms of an order of events. If at that time, Mar like Disney had bought Marvel, I don't remember. Okay, because um, initially it sounds like a good idea, right? But as we're beginning to see, I feel like now we're beginning to see maybe it isn't such a good idea. <laughs> And I expressed it to Eric in, in this way, actually, on, on the phone. And my apologies if, if you don't like the angle or how this is going to come across. Because I, I don't mean it in a negative manner, but I feel like it's a really interesting thing to consider. When I think of Disney now, I think of Star Wars and I think of Marvel. That's what I think of when I think of Disney now. Okay, Prior to this, when I thought of Disney, I thought of the animated classics that you grow up with that are for everyone. And then I thought about all that stuff they were producing. It was on television. 
that was for like super little kids, like Mickey's Clubhouse, little animated CG Mickey Mouse characters. And I also thought of things like um, Hannah Montana that I felt that was primarily aimed at, you know, young girls, right? And a lot of that stuff was for really young kids and, and mostly leaned or geared was geared towards, you know, a, a female viewer, a little girl, what have you, right? Excuse my oversimplification, okay? But that was how I thought of Disney. So when I saw opportunities to do work on Disney stuff come up, which it mostly it just meant job listings. It's not like I was offered an opportunity to work on something for Disney. It just meant I was looking for a gig or whatever. Here's an opportunity, a job listing with Disney. Eh, what is it? You read it. I don't know if I'm going to draw Mickey Mouse the rest of my life. I'll pass. All right. That's pretty much how I looked at it. And again, primarily because I thought of, thought of myself as, well, I don't know if I'm a little kid artist guy. And I don't think I'm necessarily like an artist for young women either. I don't, I don't, I don't watch Hannah Montana. So, but that's how I thought of them as a company. And it's weird because as they started buying all this stuff, when they originally bought Star Wars, because they had the Star Wars stuff at the Disney World, whatever, I didn't think that was weird. And then when they went on and they bought Marvel, I thought, oh, and this is an oversimplification and probably not the right way to view this, but I thought, oh, they want to do more stuff for boys. <laughs> That's what I thought of it as. I just, I honestly just immediately in my head, I thought, oh, okay. So they don't want to just sell stuff to little kids and girls. Now they also want to sell stuff to boys. Oh, okay. All right. Well, girls, okay. All right. Whatever. Right. A lot of it's family friendly. Families enjoy Star Wars. Families enjoy the Marvel movies. But in my head, that's what I was thinking. Okay, well, the the Marvel and the Star Wars stuff, they, they're kind of appealing to boys. They've got their other stuff. You know, you know, girls like Marvel characters and Star Wars stuff too, but then they've also got their... You know, it just to me, it felt like, okay, well, they're just checking off all the boxes. We got this, this, and this. And then when they bought Fox, that's in my head what I felt like it started getting a little weird. Because, well, that's Predator and Aliens right like that's i don't know I, I don't know where this that's going and when i look at what, what they're doing with the marvel stuff right now and the star wars stuff right now it it almost feels like well we bought these boys properties maybe it isn't clicking with people but we can sell it to the hannah montana crowd I mean, I, I and then you look at some of the other stuff, and it feels like it's definitely an outreach to really young kids. And I, I don't know. I mean, I almost feel like that they they bought these things to hopefully appeal to a certain market, and then they're marketing it to the people they market all their other stuff to. I mean, is that weird to you, Eric? I mean, does that sound strange to you? It, it's really interesting to me, and and we did talk about this a little bit uh, before the show, um, and. I'd never heard it equated in those terms. What I usually hear um, is people, uh, and I'm in this camp as well, that are upset about agenda. Uh, they're upset about agenda in their, in their entertainment uh, because it's obviously very political um, and, it's, and it's very obvious uh, where they're coming from. And uh, it, it basically ends up destroying the story. It just destroys the story. I think that's what happened to Picard. 
which is not Disney related. I mean, I think the agenda destroyed the story. And it's interesting because Disney does have that history, that very long history of basically being a, very appealing to girls. I mean, there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Disney princesses. The stars of the classic Disney movies are generally female, okay? And I never really thought of it in those terms before because I grew up on Disney. I love Disney, especially classic Disney stuff that's associated with Walt Disney, the classic stuff. I like a lot of even some of the newer stuff. Um, like, for instance, Beauty and the Beast, I think, is, a, is an awesome, awesome film. Uh, totally deserved getting an Oscar nomination. Should have gotten an Oscar, in my opinion. Um, and that is post-Walt Disney. But again, uh, the Beast is not really the star of that show. The, the Beast, it's Belle. It's, it's, it's the female character. And when Dave told this to me not too long ago, it really got my head thinking about it because there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Disney traditionally marketed a lot of their stuff towards very young children um, that that don't, you know, the, the basically the, the when you're really really little, you don't care about that that diff, you're you're not you're into you're not into the same things that you're going to be into when you're older. Let's put it that way, okay? When you're when you're really really young, and it's a lot easier to blur the lines, okay? Uh, and as you get older, kids start to talk, start to separate a little bit more. That's when you get, you know, the, the Barbie camp and the G.I. Joe camp, right? That's probably the easiest way to put it, especially the classic G.I. Joe, because the classic G.I. Joe was kind of a doll. They called it an action figure, but it was a doll, the very first one. But, you know, boys wanted the G.I. Joe, girls wanted Barbie, right? And so as you get older, that's kind of what Disney is. Disney tends to be more for the Barbie crowd um, as you get older you know, um, and you start to step away from it. And, you know, I can remember my own progression and I started to get into things like GI Joe and transformers more, right. As I got older, that's what I was really appealing to me as a kid and as a boy. And, and it, it, it is interesting because in a way it's like Disney's just doing what it does best. And it's not necessarily, um, just because of, all the, the 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 political things that are going on and the agenda and all that. I do think that's a, a contributing factor. I think it's a huge contributing factor as well. But I never really thought of it in those terms before, Dave. And and I really think it's an interesting insight because, again, it's Disney just kind of doing what they do best. And so when they say the force is female, well, that's kind of their thing, right? Now. As far as I can tell, the force has no actual genitalia. So, it, you know, the, the force is non-binary, but, you know, that's just me. <laughs> so but it kind of makes a twisted sense. It kind of it makes sense in a twisted way why they would say that because of the history of the company and the way that they have marketed things. And the fact that, yes, you know, girls have always kind of had more of a thing with Disney, especially when they're older. You know, I, I can remember, you know, as, 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 you know, starting to get into dating life and dating girls and they would still be okay, you know, seeing a Disney movie or something like that. Right. They still were into that stuff, even though they were much older, right. They weren't little kids. Whereas I was into it as a little kid, you know, and I appreciate a, a lot more now as an adult and then also as a father and stuff like that, because I look for family friendly fare all the time. Uh, but the thing is, is like, 
as a teenager or a young man, it's like, no, you know, Disney isn't, wasn't really my thing. Right. You know, it was like I said, I was, I was into other stuff at that point. So it, it is an interesting insight, um, uh, Dave. And I, I think it, it, it does make sense in a lot of ways because again, Disney's going to do what they know best and that's what they know best. That's what they're good at. That's where they're, that's part of their brand. Disney princesses are always going to be first and foremost associated with Disney, with what we, with, with, with the company and with the man even, because that's what started it. The thing that started, you know, the Walt Disney company was Snow White. And, you know, well, before that, I mean, it was Mickey Mouse, but as far as like, you know, the first, the first full length movie was Snow White. Yeah. We had Mickey Mouse before that, but, but that those were shorts, you know, Snow White was the, was that, was that pivotal moment where Walt Disney went to the world and said, yes, you can make feature length animated movies and they can be successful. They can make money. They can be a cultural phenomenon. All of those things. He proved it. And the industry has never been the same since never been the same since And animation has never been the same since because before it was just little shorts. You showed before the movie, uh, normally in black and white too, because it wasn't even worth colorizing them. So it's like, um, it's it's a pivotal pivotal thing and and the company has always been good at that it's always been good at that so it does make a lot of sense that they would continue that with their acquisitions and you do see that you do see that there's no doubt about it that you see this this shifting of these properties that traditionally were marketed towards you know boys and young men uh now being uh marketed more and more and more towards women and again, it's kind of interesting in that context of a company that's pretty much been doing that all along. So I do think that that's really interesting. I did want to circle back real quick uh, because uh, Matt had a Matt, Matthew Reed had an interesting comment about uh, fanatics and uh, an aspect that we didn't really cover, which is what he says: if Jay Z is involved, small try tra small time traders will be wiped out. And that's another interesting aspect um, is um, when you when it comes into these bigger investors coming into a, a property like this. Although I do believe that Fanatics has uh, has stock. I, I don't know that for sure. I, I don't know if they're publicly traded or not. Um, it can wipe out the opportunity for people for for smaller time people. You know what I mean? People that don't have the kind of money that Jay-Z has. So that's an interesting insight. I thought Matthew Reed said, he says, if Jay-Z is involved, small time traders will be wiped out. And then I also just wanted to acknowledge that Jane was in the house because she did sneak in here and she just said, Hey guys, So Jane, I just wanted to say hi. And Oh, actually she had a comment as well. It says, Jane says, I, I still have my first Ken doll. I bought him in fatigues, <laughs> but he is going bald. <laughs> I didn't know they had a Ken doll in fatigues. I didn't realize they had like a, an army Ken or something like that, an army Ken outfit. I didn't think, I didn't think Ken served, you know, I just, I just didn't ever associate Ken with military service, but that's interesting. That is interesting uh, that you have a Ken doll that actually is in fatigues. And then David Motz brings up a, an interesting point. Um, this is of course a company that was a, another company that was acquired by Disney, by the way, David Motz, but I think it's still a valid point. He says, Pixar got me back into Disney stuff. But again, I would make the point, David Motz, that Pixar was its own company, its own entity. In fact, to put it full circle, Pixar was actually started by Lucasfilm. It was a division of Lucasfilm. And then, of course, Steve Jobs got involved 
and he was running Pixar uh, when it was independent, and he's the one who eventually made the Disney deal. So it, it's interesting to see those those three kind of big companies, icons, you know, from George Lucas, you know, to Steve Jobs to Disney. You know what I mean? That's pretty crazy. But uh, Pixar was its own thing. And I think for the most part, continues to kind of be its own thing. That's one thing uh, Disney hasn't wanted to mess with Pixar because they know Pixar, you know, has a winning formula and even has a better track record than Disney itself when it comes to animated movies, because I don't think, I don't think there's one legitimate flop that Pixar has ever made. I, I could be wrong, but uh, I don't think there's one legitimate flop that, that Pixar has ever made. Their, their films have always been successful. And um, I, I don't think they want to mess with Pixar too much, but I, I do, I do need to make that point that even though Pixar is part of Disney, I think it's very independent. And of course it started out as its own company. If you go far enough down in the article, it actually does talk about, and as Fanatics increases its stake through throughout sports, it further fuels speculation and IPO is on the horizon. The company continues to downplay a potential entry into the public sector, though. Um, asked about its plans on CNBC's Squawk Box in, March, in last March, Ruben responded, I think going public is an option for us that we'll talk about a lot, but it's not something we're focused on today. We're focused on building a business, but I think we're well-financed and have a lot of growth capital to continue to grow. And the thing that's interesting about this too, and the reason I want to bring this up is pretty much most of my professional career, even though I'm so high, you know, most associated with, you know, DC to a lesser extent, Marvel, whatever, because I've worked for those companies. I've always been creating my own comics, self-publishing things, whatever. I've got my t-shirt company right now. And my goal has always been to try and create a small little cottage industry for myself where I could publish my comics and do my t-shirts and create my characters and whatever else, find like-minded individuals, bring them along for the journey. And maybe all of us can, can benefit, you know, from an avenue, right? Uh, for these various creations like that's always been my thought in my head you know collect bring bring like-minded people together create an opportunity and then hopefully we can all help each other grow right and it's always been about small business cottage industries independent properties what have you and while i've always wanted to work for dc because i was a big batman fan big superman fan whatever um and i did want to do that um, it was never the, the total focus of what I've been trying to do professionally. Um, my goal has been to create something first and foremost. And as there's more centralization of these different things, it, it not only does it impact in my mind, and again, I'm theorizing, in my theory mind anyway, I'm thinking, well, this is going to hurt the guy who owns the card shop you know, it, th this is going to hurt the distributor company that sells the product to the card shops, right? This potentially could hurt the guy who buys the, the wax packs to break them open on his YouTube show and then and then flip them on eBay, you know? And, and what it does in my mind anyway, rightly or wrongly, and I could be mistaken in this, is I feel like it almost creates creates a situation where there's less opportunity because I don't think this company is interested in hiring a sketch card artist, right? 
I, like, I feel like there's a lot of those kind of things that have been going on in the industry for the last several years, regardless how you feel about the pay for them. I feel like there's certain things that might go away. And then for those of you who want to get into certain things, I feel like it also creates another barrier to entry. It, like it's another, it's another cost, right? It's going to cost you more to get into this game. It's going to cost you more to get into that game because the people with the deep pockets, now they're here, you know? And I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm overreacting to this, but I feel like the right way to approach this is more small companies, more independent operators, more opportunity, and, and less of this. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I think that's what a lot of us, a lot of how a lot of us feel, especially those of us that support independent, you know, independent anything, uh, whether it be comics, whether it be. Uh, film, uh, whether whether it be anything, um, and just small business in general, you know, um, I, I I I totally I totally agree with that, Dave. I totally agree with that. Um, it's it's whether fanatics ultimately turns out to be kind of the maybe the the, the boogeyman that maybe we're we're a little concerned about. We don't know. Nobody can predict the future of how this is going to go. I do think again that Matthew's point is interesting because this is not a publicly traded company. And so it's going to be very, very few people, at least initially, that profit from this because you can't even buy stock. Uh, Al Sparrow's in the house and he actually says he once owned Pixar stock, <laughs> which is really interesting. Al, I'm, I'm curious when Disney bought Pixar, does that mean now you have Disney stock or you did have Disney stock? I assume that's what happened. I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works. Uh, when a company is acquired, I assume that you would have had some option. Uh, but if you have a, a further comment on that, I'd be curious about that. Um, but again, this company, Fanatics, is not publicly traded. So uh, at least in the in the short term, uh, it is going to be a very small elite number of people that profit from this. Right. That, that And so it, it'll be interesting to see. And again, you know, as the article mentions, at least for the time being, they have not been able to acquire uh, a, a, a an end to um, to gambling, to, to sports betting and stuff like that. Apparently, their initial effort was rebuffed, um, and that didn't happen. But that doesn't mean they're not going to keep going. I mean, they're saying this this thing is valued at eighteen billion. By the way, I would say they're probably overvalued. Just off the top of my head, you know, I'd probably say they're overvalued. But they are valued at eighteen billion, and that is going to help them, uh, especially with making new acquisitions and things like that. So. So we'll see. And then Al's answer, he said, no, I sold it prior to that to pay for college. That was way back when Steve Jobs was more involved with it. So you, you actually sold your stock before the Disney acquisition. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, makes me wonder how it compares, like how Pixar stock compared to, to Disney stock, like if it performed better or worse or, or, or what have you, because I, I never... I, I know I myself never own Pixar, Pixar stock, so that would that would be interesting uh, for me to know as far as, as as how people made out on that deal. <laughs> you know, people that were around that did that did stay. He does say I'm not smart, so uh, that that implies, I guess, that uh, you could have made a lot of money that that Disney stock was uh, more valuable than the Pixar stock had you had you hung around. So I don't know. I don't know. I think my dad actually bought Pixar stock at one point, but because I remember my dad bought uh, a few different stocks at one point. And of course, my dad was the worst um, financial manager in the world. And um, 
it's amazing to me because my dad was an engineer, so he knew numbers, but he just, when it came to finances, he, he could, he couldn't understand even basic concepts. It was so sad. And he owned a, he owned his own business. Um, and, and it did fail, um, unfortunately. And, and that's a big reason why. And I just remember that my dad bought these various stocks. I remember one of them was actually WWF at one point or WWE maybe by that point. And he bought uh, Apple and he bought, I feel like he bought Pixar. He bought a bunch of these things that he just liked. He always liked Apple. He liked Pixar. He liked uh, professional wrestling. So he bought these. And of course, <laughs> he needed some money. And so what did he do is he sold all the stock when it was way below what he what he paid for it, because that's just the mentality that my dad had. My dad did not have that mentality of this is an investment. And when you invest in something, it's long term and you wait, you sit on it for a very long time and you wait for it to go up and you don't sell it until it goes up. And he wasn't prepared to do that. And uh, I, I, we don't give, a, you know, we're not financial consultants. Uh, but uh, yeah, that we talk about on the show all the time that there's a difference between speculating, investing, and then of course just collecting for the sheer, you know, joy of collecting. Or com you're a completist or whatever it is. Those are the three motivations. And the one thing I, I like to emphasize: if, if you're in investing, remember it's long term. That's that's like at least five years or more. You know, that's the way that I look at it. You're going to have to sit on that stuff. That's that's what an investment is. And usually it's even more than that. We're talking 15, 20 years. You're sitting on that or more. You know, that's what an investment is. And a lot of people don't understand that concept. They don't understand that basic concept of, of what an investment actually is. Now, if you're speculating, that's the quick flip. You know what I mean? That's the short term type thing. You, you see a bubble and you go for it. Which is which is something I'm going to be talking about, <laughs> right? So I do, I do have a couple of picks for tonight's show, and the the way that they're organized is is again based on that philosophy we started off with beginning of the show that led into this initial discussion or topic, and then moving forward, um, I do want to focus more on independent and creator own type stuff. Eric and I discussed that before. So along those lines, I thought that was interesting. I'm part of a group on Facebook that uh, was for Power Lords, the uh, 1980s toy line where the, the characters would flip bodies or whatever. It was like a really weird sort of intergalactic <laughs> superhero warrior thing or whatever. Um, and I was kind of like the Power Lords. I've got the, still have the three issue miniseries that came out back in the day. Like, I just like it. You know, like Centurions. I like all that stuff. Um, I just think it's highly inventive and creative and fun. Even Captain Power. Uh, there's a fun Captain Power group actually on Facebook right now, too. And so I enjoyed checking huh. all this stuff out. Well, what happened today is the Power Lords Facebook group changed its name from Power Lords to Cosmic Legion. I was like, what the hell is Cosmic Legion? So I read the release, went over and checked it out. And this is one of the things that we, we tease at the beginning of the show. So the Four Horsemen, if memory serves, uh, they're a group that sculpt and create and design toys. And the Four Horsemen, again, if memory serves, I think they were originally working with Todd McFarlane when Todd McFarlane first got started. And then eventually they started doing stuff for other companies. And, I, and if I remember correctly, they were actually the group behind a lot of the sculpts for some of the Masters of the Universe characters at one point that people really liked. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Well, 
this is what Cosmic Legion is. So Cosmic Legion apparently is going to be a new line of action figures, primarily aimed at collectors, obviously older collectors. They're probably going to be more expensive. Um, but it's just going to be these really interesting, apparently intergalactic, sci-fi um, type of characters and, and creatures. And I was like, oh, well, this looks really cool. So they're going to be making an official announcement on 9.10. So that's coming up uh, pretty soon. And then they do have some additional in information on their website. But basically what they're saying is it's going to be an all-new world story and characters. They're going to be interchangeable with another line of theirs called Mythic Legends, all those different figures and accessories. They're integrated uh, to work actually with the myth Mythic lines, and it's actually going to come out with a similar release schedule. I don't know what that means because I'm not collecting the Mythic Legends or Legions or whatever. I just thought this stuff looked really kind of cool. Diverse characters and creatures with varied races, shapes, and sizes. And they're saying it's going to have a symbiotic system of parts so you can share them back and forth with some of the other toys. And um, it just looks kind of cool. And I thought this is kind of a neat picture. Um, this is something uh, they're doing themselves. Um, and I thought it just looked really kind of neat. So if you're into collecting action figures, if you enjoyed this stuff the Four Horsemen have done before, looks like they're going to be announcing on their website again here in a handful of days, 9-10, this new Cosmic uh, Legion's line. What do you think, Eric? I mean, I think it was pretty cool. Well, Matt says he's, he says that sounds really cool, and it does sound interesting to me. Uh, initially, when Dave was mentioning this at first, I was like, what are you talking about? And then I realized I have seen a video on the Four Horsemen before, um, and I, I, I can't remember what the context was. Uh, it, like, who, I can't even remember who did the video, but um, I have heard of them before, and um, my understanding is they do like, you know, very, very detailed type sculpts. You can kind of see in, in this picture here that we have up right now. Um, uh, I guess, you know, McFarland Toys is a good comparison. And uh, they, they, they do have some involvement with with, uh, with uh, uh, McFarland Toys. Uh, I have a little, I have the Wikipedia up for their company. It says the current members and co-owners of Forestman Studios are Jim Prezusi, oh gosh, I can't pronounce his name at all, P-R-E-Z-I-O-S-I, and then Eric Treadway, and H. Eric Cornboy Mays. The three met while employed as figure sculptors at McFarland Toys. says, in September of 1999, the three left McFarland to found Four Horsemen Studios along with former partner Chris Dahlberg where in partnership with Mattel, they created hundreds of figures for Mattel's Masters of the Universe, The Dark Knight, Harry Potter, DC Universe Classics, and the Man of Steel toy lines, among others. And it says in 2004, they began, began creating their own properties. So these guys have had an association uh, with some of the, the biggest toy lines um, out there, especially when it comes to action figures with McFarlane and with Mattel. And now they're doing their own thing. And then uh, Al has a comment. Al says the horsemen do. Can you pronounce that, Dave? Do you know that term? Stactions. Stactions. Statue action figures. Non-posable. Non -posable. And most importantly, he says. Affordable. affordable. 
I've never heard that term before, uh, Al. I've never heard that affordable? term. Affordable? Not affordable. Um, I've heard oh, affordable okay. before. But that, that statue plus action figures. How do you pronounce it? How how was it? How are you pronouncing that, Dave, again? Oh, I don't know how to pronounce it. I was just how, but how were you pronouncing stat, it? Stat stat stactions, like stactions. Stat I don't know. I don't know how you say it, but stactions, I just stations, huh? Interesting. I, I, I never just, heard that uh, term before. Never heard that term before. I I own a I'm lot. I'm certainly of, familiar with action figures that aren't posable. I mean, right. that, that's something that's been around forever. You know what I mean? <laughs> he says stactions. Stactions. Okay. Stactions. Okay. Um, but that's not necessarily a new thing. I mean, I mean, I, 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 well, you know what just popped into my head of all things was the willow figures. Willow figures weren't posable. They were little. They were small too. They weren't necessarily super detailed, but they were. They weren't posable. The, the, the action figures they made for Willow, and I had some of them. So um, that concept is nothing new. I, I, I think that's interesting they came up with their own little term, but... <laughs> well, and hey, now I'll, I know. Now I know. So uh, among, among these kind of newer, kind Stacks. of collector, collector-centric things that are going on, like Fresh Monkey Fiction does like their amazing heroes line, which is like the public domain Golden Age superheroes. They're also relaunching right now. I think it was Eagle Force or whatever. Like, there's all kinds of interesting little, like, you know, almost like collector and fan driven things that are happening. And these companies creating new properties. Like, I love science fiction. Like, this just looks really killer and cool. And, and so that's kind of what I want to do moving forward um, is kind of focusing more on these more independent, you know, um, type of things. Like, for example, like Todd McFarlane has a really cool Batman figure he was talking about today that you can order, I think, tomorrow at, at Target or something. And it looked really cool, but all I could see in my mind's eye was me on the Target website hitting refresh and somehow still not <laughs> getting one. And I was like, forget that. I don't even care about that. And so I was like, well, you know, I, I mean, I, I prefer Todd when he's doing, you know, stuff like this. I mean, this isn't a Todd, you know, property, but you know what I mean? Like, this is the, like, I liked it back in the day when he was doing, you know, the spawn toys and like all that stuff's really cool. I mean, I know he's still doing it, but I just, I don't know. There's just something really cool and fun and interesting about this. The other thing I like about it is new, you know, it's not something that I've necessarily, I mean, it looks familiar to something I've seen before, but at the same point, it still feels and looks new. And so that's the thing I think would be kind of fun is, is to kind of find these kind of just more fun, interesting, independent, you know, type things and, and start talking about this kind of stuff. And, and again, Leaning into that theory that we started the episode off with, this idea of helping to build up, you know, these smaller companies, you know, these smaller groups, these cooperative things where people are working together and, you know, kind of just diversify, to use that term, diversify where the money's going and not have it be quite so centralized. Because <laughs> I don't feel like they're making a lot of good choices with some of the stuff that's going on with some of the larger companies. I don't yeah. totally disagree with them either. I'm just saying that stuff is clearly not for me anymore. So let's find some fun things that look like they might be for me. Like this looks cool. I think this might be for me. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely with you on promoting the independent stuff. And then Al also mentioned regarding these uh, stactions. He said, as they did it for masters of the universe, when they lost the rights to make action figures, but still had the license. That's interesting. So they, they, they couldn't make posable figures for whatever reason, but they could still make uh, non-posable figures. That's weird. 
Very weird, Al. Very weird. I don't understand. But then again, uh, who knows how these contracts are, are made and all that kind of stuff. So that's interesting. Right. So we're going to go ahead and go to the next one, which is another kind of an unconventional choice. Um, but uh, I'm also part, again, on Facebook, I'm part of an Edgar Rice Burroughs group. And they were promoting this, which is Skies of Venus. Um, there is some information here I want to uh, read relating to this. Now, th these are not paid promotions, anyone. This is just stuff I thought was interesting that I wanted to share with you. So again, this is coming from the Edgar Rice Burroughs group. This is a happy 146th birthday, Edgar Rice Burroughs. In honor of the grand occasion, we are pleased to announce that Skies of Venus by Neil Romanek, apologies if I'm saying it correctly, the latest volume in the Wild Adventures of Edgar Rice Burroughs series is now available for pre-order. The book is expected to ship winter of 2021. They're also pleased to announce that pre-orders for John Carter of Mars, Gods of the Forgotten, has begun to ship to customers, and shipping of the Beyond the Farthest Star Restored Edition is soon to follow. Now, they do have a, a really cool... Not a really cool, but they do have a website that has a lot of material available on it. Um, and I thought it was just really kind of neat. For those people who are not familiar, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs is um, a very important uh, writer and author in the worlds of science fiction. Um, and I thought this was really kind of neat because this is a, a new book. And I didn't realize there's so many. This looks like it's number 11 in a series of books. I'm going to check this stuff out. And then I went over and I was looking at their website to see what other kind of fun things they might have going on. So it's edgariceburrows.com. They've got some pre-orders going on here. This, again, the skies of, of Venus. Um, looks pretty cool. It's actual physical book, by the way, too. Um, they've got some interesting little uh, excerpts here from it. And I thought this was neat. It's got interior art, too. You know, like back when they had the novels that had interior illustrations, I thought that was really pretty cool. So that is neat. That is neat. You, you don't see that as much anymore. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So for those of you who are not um, uh, familiar, this, this is interesting. There's a quote here on their website, actually from Edgar Rice, uh, actually from Ray Bradbury. And it says, Edgar Rice Burroughs was and is the most influential writer, bar none, of our century. So that's a pretty pretty heavy quote coming from someone like Ray Bradbury. Now, Edgar Rice Burroughs um, actually created Tarzan, uh, John Carter. I mean, the guy's just like, I mean, just incredible. And so I thought this is kind of neat that they're keeping his legacy alive. And my understanding is, is when you're purchasing these books from essentially Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, you're actually helping to actually, this money's actually going back, you know, to the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate, which I thought was pretty cool. And some of these, like, that's a Frank Frazetta cover. That's, like, really cool. So, anyhow, I thought this is pretty neat. And I thought, you know, let's let's check this out. We don't talk much about, you know, novels and books and stuff. And I thought this looked pretty cool. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'm not that familiar with Edgar Rice Burroughs, to be honest, with his work. I'm familiar with the character of Tarzan. And, you know, I've, I've heard of John Carter, um, mostly because of the, the movie flop. Otherwise, I wouldn't have any any concept of him at all but uh you know i dig tarzan <laughs> you know i grew up on that yeah. stuff as a kid uh but not the books i have to be honest i never read the books I, I grew up on things like you know i saw some of the serials and movies my dad was into that and actually the disney movie i liked a lot I like the tarzan disney movie i'm a fan so 
So the excerpt here just says, in the Wild Adventures of Edgar Rice Burroughs series, today's authors innovate and expand upon Burroughs' classic tales of wonder in truly wild fashion, even moving his characters and storylines outside the bands of canon to, al to alternate universes. Skies of Venus, the latest volume in the series, transport readers back to the mysterious shrouded world of Amtor that was discovered by Carson Napier in Edgar Rice Burroughs' classic novel, Pirates of Venus, but this time to experience it through the eyes of an Earthman of the 21st century. So I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I like this kind of, I like this wild, fantastical, you know, science fiction type stuff. And so I thought this would be something kind of interesting to talk about. And it's like I said, it's different. It's new. It's it's familiar, but it's it's still something that's to, in my mind anyway, a little bit more new. So I thought it'd be fun to showcase this. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. All right, there you go. All right, so that's all I have for tonight's my portion of the show. <laughs> I just had these that news story, which is not pop culture related, but I feel like it's going to impact pop culture, um, just because the companies that are being targeted by fanatics, even though they're primarily interested in the sports card market, is going to impact all of us because those are the same company that make Marvel trading cards. They're the same companies that make, you know, Star Wars trading cards, you know, like it's, it's and it's going to impact the industry as a whole and obviously affect us in some case, you know, the card shop owners and potentially even your LCSs, your local comic shop owners, too, if they still carry trading cards. So. So that's what I had for tonight's show. Um, what do you have uh, for tonight's show, Eric? Well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm going to be. Um going along those same lines with some of my coverage of this story. So uh, we have covered uh, WADA games previously uh, on this um, on this channel. Uh, we, we've talked about uh, these crazy, crazy things that have been happening as far as the price of graded video games. And of course, we talk about grading on this channel quite a bit, usually in the context of trading cards. Sometimes we, we get into it with comic books a little bit. Uh, but that we, we've wanted to talk more about video games on this channel. Uh, Dave and I have both wanted to get more into video games. And I'll be honest, at first, in a lot of ways, I was kind of excited about this pros that prospect of graded video games and where that was all going. But uh, since our coverage of what's been happening with WADA, I've, I've been out there and I have said, uh, you might want to be careful about this thing. Um, I said it before. Uh, that this could this looks has all the all the looks of a bubble. Um, I've said that there are shenanigans going on, um, and this is going to be giving a little bit more evidence of that. So this is from Kotaku.com, and they did a pretty good write up of of what it is that I want to talk about. So this is a good resource for anybody that wants to learn a little bit more about this particular story. It says. YouTuber accuses million-dollar retro game sales of being scams. Very bold title there. So again, YouTuber accuses million-dollar retro game sales of being scams. Scams. What a games inherited auctions are at the center of a growing controversy around vintage games. And this was written by Ethan Gotch or Gatch. Um and so you can see a selection here of, of WADA games that have, have done very well at auctions recently. 
It says vintage game video games like factory sale copies of the Legend of Zelda and Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo Entertainment System have suddenly started selling for eye-popping prices. And a new video documentary claims potential fraud could be a big part of the reason why. It effectively charges auction houses, game graders, and certain collectors was conspiring to manufacture a retro game bubble and get rich in the process. I want to emphasize this sentence again. So this video they're talking about, it says it effectively charges auction houses, game graders, and certain collectors with conspiring to manufacture a retro game bubble and get rich in the process. The auction house we're talking about is Heritage Auctions. The game grader we're talking about is none other than Wada Games. Uh, these are accusations that are being made uh, by someone else. I want to be clear that I'm not making this accusation myself. I am just reporting uh, what is being reported by others. It says, in a nearly hour-long video posted on August 23rd, YouTuber and Golden GoldenEye007 speedrunner Carl Jobst and I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, it's Jobs, J-O-B-S-T, outlined a series of apparent conflicts of interest between WADA Games, the agency grading rare games, and Heritage Auctions, the company that has recently been selling them for record-breaking prices. Not only does he accuse Heritage Auctions of fraudulent behavior, he also questions the motives of WADA Games, which appears to be a revolving door between graders, collectors, and sellers. Quote, there is a select group of very wealthy, very powerful people pulling the strings behind this recent spike in video game prices, and the same people are making money hand over fist, Job argues in this video. So again, this is a pretty good write-up if you want to go to Kotaku.com, uh, but I am going to go a step further. I often will mention that, hey, I saw a YouTube video and... You know, I thought it was interesting and, I, and they had an interesting topic I want to talk about. And I'll give credit to the, the person who, who made the video. And um, in this case, though, I'm actually going to go ahead and share the video with you. Uh, so if any of you want to check it out, that link is not spam. Uh, this is the actual, the actual video um, of the, the documentary. It's almost an hour long. It is a time investment. But I highly, highly recommend that you check this out. And I also recommend you check this out, even if you do not care about video game grading. Okay, even if you do not care about video game grading, this is important to check out. Because what they do in this video is they actually go beyond just talking about what's happening now with what I believe to be the video game bubble, the video game grading bubble, okay? That's how I'll term it. And I do believe it's a bubble. Now, how much of this is nefarious and how much of this is, is uh, manufactured, I don't know. But there are some uh, really interesting accusations that are made in this video that are worth checking out. But what's, what's even more important, if you're, if you're a collector, right, if you're a collector of anything, okay, it's, it, it's good to know how these bubbles work and how nefarious some of these bubbles are. Because uh, what they compare the current bubble to is a bubble that occurred in the 80s regarding, regarding collecting coins, okay? 
and I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with that bubble, but the, the, the coin collecting bubble was so bad in the 80s, even without inflation, even without inflation, without, without putting that into the equation at all, the prices they were getting for coins in the 80s, we still haven't got back there, okay? And coins are considered a, a commodity at this point. They're actually considered, you know, almost like blue chips. I mean, they're just like, there's something that pretty much anybody with a lot of money, they probably have some coins. You know, I have coins. I, I have some silver coins, you know. Getting into coins is very common as a way to kind of hedge your bets and kind of not, if not necessarily to make money, to maintain your value, right? That it's a hedge and, and it's very common. But in the 80s, there was this huge bubble. And this uh, this documentary talks about this bubble. And what's really disturbing is one of the people at the center of that coin bubble, who is one of the founders of Heritage Auctions, was one of the main instigators of that bubble. One of the main instigators of that bubble. And now he is at the center of what's going on with Wada Games. This is apparently the person who bought that record-setting Super Mario initially for $100,000 and started all this hype going to where it's led to the current prices. And it's just a fascinating story. I can't summarize it here. It's too much. But I'm telling folks, you've got to check this out because – it really helps you figure out how these markets work and also how they're manipulated. And it's really sad to see that there's a very high possibility that these auction houses and these grading companies are collaborating together to artificially inflate the price of these items. Now, again, I'm not making that accusation myself. The accusation has been made. And I will let you make the decision ultimately whether you're, you believe this or not. But what, what I will say is be very, very cautious of these markets right now and of any of these markets. And be very, very cautious of what a games. Um, there's some really interesting stuff. You know, one of the things that's brought up is, you know, what a games has recently been featured a lot on Pawn Stars. Um, and they've, it, it seems like every time somebody comes in with a video game now to Pawn Stars, the CEO from What a Game shows up to actually um, grade the, the video game and, and say how much it's worth. Or comes in with a graded video game and says, in fact, on Pawn Stars, they came in with that Super Mario cart. They came in with it graded from What a Games. The guy was asking for a million dollars. And they had the CEO from What A Games come in and say, hey, is this really possible, blah, blah, blah. Now, what's funny is the two episodes that I'm familiar with um, on Pawn Stars, they passed. So they had What A Games on there, and obviously somebody got What A Games on there. I don't know if it was the people from Gold and Silver Pawn or if it was like one of the producers from the show, right? I don't know. I would actually like to know because I'm a fan of Pawn Stars. But what's interesting is in both cases, they passed. And in one of the episodes where they passed, it was like they had a Frogger. They had like a, 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 an Atari Frogger game. And they also had an uh, Atari Indiana Jones game in the box. And it was interesting because they not only passed in that one, they said, you know what? I think this is a bubble, which was really interesting. So it's like, 
I kind of feel like the producers got what a games on there and the Pawn Stars guys are like, we don't really want anything to do with this. We know video games are hot, but you know what? We don't really want to get into this market right now. So it's really interesting what's going on and these different factors. But you need to be very, very cautious. This is this is like a warning, you know, call for everybody. Be very, very cautious of what's going on. And I wanted to I wanted to show some screen captures real quick, also to kind of show my point of what's going on and and the hype machine because we talk about the hype machine on this show quite a bit. So I'm gonna go over here real quick. I had these things loaded up. So these are some screenshots basically from when I did a search for what a games. Okay. I just did a search what a games and use the news tab. And I specifically use the news tab. What we have here is really interesting. Okay. So you can see we have a Nintendo life um, article from a week ago and it says accusations of foul play surface around record breaking. And of course it's what a games. We have another one that's tech Raptor and it says, New allegations surface of retro gaming auction co controversy. Now, Dave, do you, can you see the CNN one in the middle? Yeah, it says uh, why your old games may be worth millions. <laughs> do you see a problem there? Yep. Do you see a problem there? Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Um, I have a major, major, major problem with this, okay? And th this is this is why people do not like mainstream news and don't trust it. Okay, so you've got these these two sort of small sites, right, that are very much centered towards gamers or tech people. Tech Raptor, Nintendo Life is obvious, and it a site for Nintendo enthusiasts. Okay, and they're bringing attention to this controversy that hey, we might want to put the brakes on this, on this hype machine, right? And here's good old CNN saying why your, your old video game may be worth millions. In other words, they're part of that hype machine. They are absolutely 100% part of that hype machine. Um, and it, it's one of those things that, again, I really want to ca caution people on this stuff and tell you to put on the brakes and, and try to see what's happening here and also see the level of collusion that's going on and how a lot of the mainstream media completely ignores this stuff and it's just going with the hype. 100% going with the hype. Um, I have another one here, another screen capture, same thing. I did the search for what a games you can see there in the Google search terms, went to the news tab. We've got CNET right on the top An NES game donated a goodwill just sold for $411,278,000. And then Collider, most expensive video games ever sold include Mario and Zelda. And then at the bottom, you got this, this local radio station, 101.5 KNUE, a legal money laundering scheme is developing with video games, okay? Something is going on, folks. Something is going on, okay? Um Again, I, I can't make any specific allegations or anything like that. The allegations have been made by others, so I don't have to. So I don't have to make the allegation. But be very, very cautious of these things. And understand, these manipulated bubbles don't just apply to video games. And I will make a prediction that uh, assuming that no legal action is taken 
And assuming that they, they get away with all this, uh, the next thing they're probably going to go after is, is action figures. Um, because I just, I just kind of feel it. I kind of feel it, especially with some of the language that these people are using, uh, because this isn't even really about rare games anymore. Um, the whole factory seal thing, I think is completely bogus. I think it's complete, utter horse crap. Um, I don't see any real value in a, a factory seal video game. You can't do anything with it. I mean, there is a preservation aspect, I suppose. Um, but in this video, the video that uh, that Jobs does, he even shows how inconsistent the grading is at WADA, where they give like an A-plus rating to a Tomb Raider game, and you can clearly see the plastic is broken. Clearly, you can see it in the video that the plastic is broken, and they gave it like an A-plus rating. So even a lot of these ratings are complete bullshit, complete, utter bullshit. So um, I'm putting out the warning out there to folks. Be very, very cautious of this. This is going to affect other markets if they get away with this. I, I absolutely believe this is going to affect other collecting markets. Um, the way that I found out about this article, by the way, was uh, Metal Jesus was talking about it initially because I didn't know who Jobs was, which is kind of funny because Jobs is actually very popular. Once I went to his site, he's got like million view videos and stuff like that. And I know I didn't know who he was. I had no idea who he was. But I do know who Metal Jesus is, and I, I follow his stuff. And Metal Jesus was reacting to this. And also uh, Reserved Investments, who is somebody I follow a lot, he's featured in the video. He's one of the people cited in this video, and I, I trust Reserved Investments a lot when it comes to advice about collecting. I, I, I really dig the guy. I think he makes a lot of sense. And it's important to note that Reserved Investments started out with video games as a kid. That's where he started. Now he gets into coins and antiques and all sorts of other stuff, but he started out with video games. So he understands this market very well. And um, with Metal Jesus, uh, what he his, the, the way that he took it is, first of all, Metal Jesus was very clear. He does not care about graded video games. He is not a graded video game collector. He's a legit, real video game collector. He goes to flea markets. You know what I mean? He goes to garage sales and he tries to make a deal. And in a lot of ways, what he was trying to say was, so how does this really affect me? This type of demographic collector, a true collector. Anybody who's seen Metal Jesus videos, you can see his game room. It is absolutely filled with video games, okay? He's a true collector. And he said, the thing is that he's starting to realize as he's been going to garage sales is for the first time, normal people, the normies, if you will, the, 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 the casual fans, if you will, if, if they're even fans at all. Civilians. There's the civilians. There you go. The civilians. They're starting to pick up on this hype. And now it's like, you know, I actually got a copy of Earthbound at a garage sale. With, for people that don't know, Earthbound is one of those like holy grail games, okay? Even loose. Even loose, it goes for like 100 bucks or something like that. I got it for like $2 at a garage sale. Okay, along with a couple other really good uh, Super Nintendo games. Okay, just the cards, no box or anything like that. But these were like good games, highly coveted games. He 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 sold them to me for like ten bucks, ended up being like two bucks a piece for for the games. What Metal Jesus is saying, and yeah, Ronnie's like, whoa, yeah, Ron, Ronnie knows what I'm talking about. Yes, I I got a Earthbound for two bucks. 
what Metal Jesus talks about is those days are going to be gone because of all this hype bullshit, because of this inflated bubble. Those days are gone because now the civilian, as Dave said, knows about this shit. And they think that they're going to find a Super Mario Kart and sell it for a million dollars. And that's how it's going to affect you, the, the true collector. That's how it's going to affect you. Because I know a lot of the true collectors, they want nothing to do with the graded video games. There is a backlash happening. And a lot of the, the true collectors want nothing to do with graded video games. They can see that there's something wrong. They can see it. Because they've been involved in this market for a long time. And they know, you know, it does go up and it does go down, but not these numbers. Not these numbers, right? Talk about Earthbound, you know, loose for 100 bucks. That is crazy. Or even more. That's not even the peak. I think it even went for more at one point, right? Might be going for more now. It's been a while since I checked. But we were, we're not talking about thousands of dollars. We're not talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. These people know something's wrong. But what I'm trying to say is, even if you're one of those people, it's going to affect you because of CNN, because of that screenshot I just showed you. Because the civilians, they're looking at CNN. They're not looking at Nintendo Life. Um, and that I think it has a real potential to affect other markets. So, um, Dave, I know I sent you the link to the movie, the documentary. Did you have a chance to watch it? No, I haven't had a chance to watch it, um, but I understand the the general concept. That, you know, there's there's a lot of talk similarly about this, even amongst like not to this extent, but there's still a lot of talk about this kind of stuff and all kinds of different graded collectibles, and, and including like even comics and stuff. Um, and and it is a it is a weird thing, you know we we've recommended books before here on the show, talked about the Marvel bump and all this other stuff. Um, and there are times and it feels like that there are to an extent more modern books that sometimes see extravagant, you know, high peaks in value when the value of those new characters, those storylines or whatever have not really been tested over time, but yet their value will rival early appearances of characters while still modern and sometimes even eclipse the values of those other, like, you know, key daredevil, not daredevil, key Deadpool books, key venom books. You know, these are more recent characters, but then you have new characters who've just come out who are not even like a year or two years old and their newer modern books graded have the same value. And then sometimes have eclipsed the values of like, key books for these other characters who've been around for a, a longer period of time, who are more established, who have a proven fan base, who are part of proven storylines that people want to see adapted into things. And it always makes you kind of scratch your head. It's like, well, what is going on with this? A, a good example of this in a weird way, not the same thing, but I feel it kind of related, is what happened when Electra on the daredevil costume for a brief period in time and i was like oh that sounds really cool i want to pick up a copy of that book and i couldn't even find a copy of it and there's been other instances where a book hasn't even come out yet but it's already somehow on ebay <laughs> you know jacked up in value 
and it, and and it's just a weird sort of thing. I mean, I get the scalpers and whatever else is going on, but it does get to a certain point where it feels like, you know, it is is this manufactured scarcity? You know, is is it really rare? You know, is it really valuable, or are we just buying into the hype? Yeah, the, and the hype machine works in different ways. Like the, the the Marvel bump is is the hype machine, but it's not nefarious. Okay, the hype machine in that sense is people are just aware of it, right? And and again, uh, Dave's term, the civilians, right? They, they they know they may not have ever read a WandaVision comic book, but when they see WandaVision, right? Um, they now know about the character, and now someone that has never picked up a comic book in their life might be inclined to go ahead and buy that book with the idea of flipping it, doing a quick flip. Um, the hype machine does work in that way. It works in that way all the time, especially when it comes to uh, something that's adapted into a television show or a movie or something like that. And I would say that's very short term. That's still very speculative. But this is this is on a totally different level, okay? What we're talking about here is that the accusation has been made that we are talking about an absolutely manufactured bubble that has been made to profit certain individuals, and they are lying through their asses. They are basically doing nefarious things to manipulate this market, okay? It's a very, very straight-up accusation that's being made. And I'm telling folks, you want to take a look at this. You want to take a look at this because first of all, you do, you want to be aware of how these markets are manipulated in this way. That's one thing that I think you should be, be aware of. But the other, the other part of it is, is just like this, this is the potential of being a huge story. At some point, CNN might actually wake up and actually like hire somebody that actually knows something about video game collecting, you know, and actually get into this and actually get into the weeds, and then it's going to be a really big story, you know, or if someone like from Forbes or something like that gets into this, which which I think is around the corner, uh, especially Forbes, I think is better with a lot of this stuff than some of these other, these other mainstream outlets. Um, so I'm just putting the alert out there. Um, and even if you don't care about graded video games, this is good information, because this this tells you about market manipulation on a on a scale you may have never even thought before. When you're talking about this collusion of these collectors, quote unquote, uh, with these graders and with, with, the, with the auction houses. It, 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 it's this, this trifecta, it's this nexus of evil <laughs> when it comes to collecting. Um, and it's, it's very disappointing, but also eye-opening to realize that this potentially could be happening and probably is. Uh, because it, 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 the, the, the writing is on the wall. You watch this thing, you will see it's laid out uh, very, very well. The guy did his research. And I'm sitting here scratching my head, like, why does a YouTuber have to do this? When CNN has that shill article, absolutely shill bullshit article about, oh, look at this. Without even asking the question, how did this happen? How the F did this happen? Why is this happening? No, they're just going to accept it. Organic demand, right? And uh, there's one other aspect of this that I do just want to make people aware of, uh, just because it's it's 
it's um it's really interesting in my mind uh there's another company and, and again this is more mainstream coverage by the way this is from cnbc and this is a pretty recent article august 31st tom huddleston jr is the author of this it said quote well this is the headline this company sold a copy of super mario brothers for two million dollars nfts and a triceratops a triceratops skull could be next the company in question that they're talking about is called Rally. Have you heard of Rally, Dave? Dave, have you heard of Rally? I think you're muted. Sorry, no, I was having an issue with my dogs. Um, okay. <laughs> hey, watch we're, that we're hand. Having a lot of, we're having a lot of problems in that area here lately. <laughs> watch that hand, Dave. Watch the hand. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> trying as best I can trying to get my mic back on um anyhow uh no I have not heard I mean I don't rallies burgers is but no I have not heard of rallies and guards to auctions or anything okay so and I'll be right back so to give some concepts it says if you saw the recent record two million sale of a 36 year old copy of Nintendo's iconic Super Mario Brothers video game unopened since 1985 and immediately search your childhood closets for similar vintage gold, you're probably not alone. Rally, the New York City-based alternative asset investment startup that sold the game, is counting on it. Says the company, which allows users to invest in rare physical collectibles the same way investors buy stock in a company, originally bought a copy of Super Mario Brothers from a private collector for $140,000 April 2020. Four months later, the startup hosted an initial public offering, IPO, for the game, allowing 359 users to buy in at $50 per share, netting Rally a tidy profit of $10,000 right off the bat. Rally also kept 30 shares for itself as per company policy. And when an unidentified, unidentified of course, private collector offered to buy the game for $2 million earlier this month, a majority of the game's shareholders, approximately 79%, voted in favor of the sale. Rally, which uh, abstains from voting on sales proposals, notes that some of the users who bought shares in the game saw returns on their investments of more than 1,200% in less than a year. And again, this is a, a CNBC article. If you want to check it out, this company sold a copy of Super Mario Brothers for $2 million. NFTs and a Triceratops skull could be next. So what Rally is, is Rally is this company that allows you to, uh, in a sense, buy a, a piece of, uh, of, a, of a collectible or other commodity, okay? In this case, it was a, one of these uh, Super Mario uh, sealed video games, graded video games, graded, of course, by Wada Games. And what they allow you to do is go on their site and you can buy a piece of it. You can buy a share at whatever price they decide to let you buy the share of and however they determine the value, I don't know. They determine the value, obviously, maybe by how much they paid for it, I don't know. And you get a little percentage of, of the item in theory, right? And, and the concept in and of itself sounds kind of interesting, right? Because people do that. People do that with stocks where they buy a fraction of a stock. Uh, people do that with uh, paintings, with, with fine art. They do that with other commodities where they own a fraction of that particular commodity because they don't have enough to buy a whole, the whole thing. 
you know. But what's interesting with what Rallies is doing is that they're they're in the middle of this this gaming bubble. And they're the instigators of part of this gaming bubble. So I would be I would I'm not going to go so far as to accuse Rally of any kind of collusion with these other other actors, okay? But they're right in the middle of it. Literally, they're right smack dab in the middle of all this. And my gut tells me that Rally is more of like they're just speculators. They're just kind of hoping this stuff goes up. That's why they're buying this stuff and they're hoping it's going to go up in value and they can sell it. Just like any other speculator, they're they're hoping to do some sort of a a quick, a, you know, a quick flip. But um I would be very cautious. Um if you're if you're involved with rallies or if you're looking to be in in rallies, I would be very very cautious at this point. Uh because I don't if the bubble bursts I don't see rallies being being immune uh, from this entire situation. So I'm curious, Dave. I mean, the general concept I think is is interesting. I mean, do you agree? I mean, it's kind of it's an interesting idea that you can buy sort of a, a commodity. You know, you can own a fraction of it and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think that's a well a there, generally there, interesting concept. There are companies that do that. Um, uh, like for example, I think it's Starstock or something that actually does it with trading cards. Uh, there's another company I can't remember the name of it that actually does it even with graded comic books, um, where you can own a portion of, you know, a physical copy of, you know, Action Comics number one. You know, we'll just use that as a theoretical. You know, they, they acquire that. People buy a piece of it or whatever and hold on to it. And then at some point, if they're if someone wants to buy it down the road or they decide to sell it or something, you know, what have you, if it does really well in the auction or whatever, you benefit from it because you own a, a portion of it. So, you know, my only thought is, I mean, I guess I guess if you want to invest in that stuff, you can do with it, you know, what you please. It's your money, you know, Um but for me, I, I think it's better to actually, you know, own own a copy of the book. Now, in the case of Action Comics number one, that's obviously out of most people's, you know, ballpark, you know. But if and, you're and by at, the way, I, I also think you know, comparing you know Action Comics, you know, to 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 the Super Mario, uh, you know, uh, bubble wrap game. I mean, that, that that's not in the same league. It, it, the, the, no. the track record or whatever. It's it's not it's not and also the rarity and everything else. I mean, it's just and I've also thought about this a lot, too. When you have a factory sealed game, you don't even know if the game's in it. There's no way to even know the game's in it. I mean, who's to say that someone didn't just get a a a a, a pristine box, wrap it and wrap it themselves and throw in a, a fucking shovelware sports game in there? Who's to say? At least when you grade a, a comic book, you actually have to look through it, look at the pages, see how they are. You know what I mean? There's a real grading there. When you're grading a factory sealed um, a video game, I mean, you you really have no idea what you're actually getting. You really don't. So it, it, to me, it's not Apple. You know, it's it, it's to me, it, it, it's not even in the same category. It's not even no, and I and I I understand what you're saying. I'm not talking about that context. What I'm saying is just for me as a collector of my own personal perspective. 
I think it's better to go to actually own a physical copy of a book in, in your collection. So if you can't afford the action comics, number one, maybe you pick up some of the other key Superman books that you can afford to actually own. You know, I, I feel like it's better to, to do oh, it absolutely. that way. You know, absolutely. Th then, no, but that's, but that's my just own personal opinion. It's always spent so much time in the early versions of the collector's corner show talking about that second appearance, that third appearance, you know, for those characters. I mean, you can still get, you know, Deadpool's second appearance relatively inexpensively, you know, get that book graded and, and you've got a really important key issue actually for uh, Deadpool. I meant Deadpool. Did I say Daredevil again? I meant Deadpool, you know, for Deadpool, for example, you, you said know, Deadpool's okay, good. I, for some reason in my head, I keep hearing Daredevil, um, but you know, so you can you know, even Venom. There, there's some key early issues for Venom, you know, or Carnage. Some, you know, there's modern characters that you can go out and get important key issues for, and actually have them in your collection um, if you want to get into collecting. Um, and I feel like it's better to have those in your collection because if the character does become popular, if they go up in value, you have the actual physical book itself on hand. So, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me as well. Regarding the the graded uh, video games, the the, the pre, uh, sealed video games, Ronnie says it's asinine. And he says that would be amazing if that Mario game was really Madden sixty four, <laughs> and that's my point. I, I think the entire concept is kind of stupid. And again, if you watch this documentary, uh, he even shows this graded version of Tomb Raider, and it, it shows you that Wada games they're not even good graders. Because it shows that the seal is broken, and they gave it like an A plus, an A plus. Please check out the video if you don't don't believe what I'm saying, or even if you do, so you can see for yourself. So you can see for yourself. That's what I think is really important. But I but I don't think it's, I don't think it's even a fair comparison because I, I've thought about this a lot. Trading cards to me are the thing that probably makes the most sense to grade because you do not take any value away. When you when you grade a trading card, in fact, what you're doing is you're preserving it. You're putting it in a nice case. You can still enjoy it the same way that you would enjoy the trading card if it was loose. It's just protected now. And so grading grading trading cards makes a lot of sense to me because, in terms of that intrinsic value of the joy of trading cards, you do nothing to diminish that. Comic books are a step away from that because you can't read it anymore. But there is the preservation aspect. I mentioned like. Recently, I was going through some of my old comic books that are in a box and they're in they're in bags. Uh, those old books are not boarded. Now I feel like I need to board them. But as I was looking through some of them, they almost feel like they're falling apart because they're on that cheap newspaper uh, type paper and all that stuff. So there is a preservation aspect of grading those comic books, sealing them up. Somebody did actually physically go through the pages and look at them to see that they're you know, that, that, that they're good, that they haven't been completely faded, you know, and that goes into that grade. And I can see that. I can see some value. And then, and of course, you can still see the cover. The cover is, is, is very often the best artwork of the book. It just is. So you still have the cover. You can still display it. There's still some value to that, plus there's the preservation aspect. If it's a sealed video game, it's already preserved, okay? So there is no preservation aspect of putting it into another case. You can do that. You can put it in another case if you want to. You know what I mean? That's what you really want. In fact, they make cases for boxes, especially the Nintendo ones, because the Nintendo boxes are low quality. They tend to be cardboard. 
as opposed to like Genesis boxes where they're hard. And actually most modern game consoles, they're hard cases now. They're the same as a DVD or a Blu-ray case. They're hard cases. So just the case itself is, is good enough. With the Nintendo old Nintendo stuff, you might want to go a step over and get like a plastic thing that you can, you know, put the the box into because they are cardboard, right? But but a lot of the preservation aspect of grading is just not really there. And then on top of that, you really literally don't know what you're getting. It seems to me, without all these other accusations of fraud, just the fact that you could easily again get a pristine box, throw Madden 64 in it and then have it wrapped professionally yourself and then send it off to be graded. What prevents that? Nothing. The answer is nothing because they can't open the seal. By definition, they break the seal. That takes the value away. Unless it's that Tomb Raider game I talked about where if the seal's broken, it's okay. It still gets an A+. So to me, it doesn't make any sense. You know, and, and, you, and there's no... There's none of the actual value of what a video game is, which is playing it, right? I mean, people buy video games to play them. You, you, you can't do that at all. You can't enjoy the video game at all for what it actually is. At least with the graded comic book, you can still look at the cover. You can still display it. But you can't even really do that with your video game. I mean, you could display the boxes. I know people that do that. I've even thought about displaying some of my games on the wall and stuff in the boxes. But actually, when I look at what Wada Games puts their games in, because it's like this big, you know, this big thing uh, that they, they, they put it in. In fact, actually, I, I can show the picture here. Okay. I'm not sure how much displayability that really has. It's a big, bulk, bulky box, right? And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I really want to display that in, in my game room or something like that. So it just all around, it feels weird to me. Um, and then Ronnie brings up another point. It's like, oh, what if they swapped it with a repo cart? That's a good point, Ronnie. And for people that don't know what a repo cart is, it's like they do make modern reproductions of vintage video games. That still happens. So there are people that will make like their own, like homebrewed, you know, like they will make a, they will make a new, it's not even necessarily homebrew. They will actually like get the cart because they still make some of these carts. They will get a new cart and they will, they will get an, uh, a new board and they will put a game on there that's rare or that's very hard to acquire. Right. And it's a new cart that some third party made not, ha it has nothing to do with Nintendo. Okay. And they have these repo carts and you could do the same thing. You could actually like do a repo cart, right? Throw it into one of the original boxes, seal it up. You know, what prevents you from doing that? And, and I, I'm going to say nothing, <laughs> nothing prevents you from doing that. And this doesn't even have anything to do with all the other allegations that, that have come out in this documentary. I'm just talking about the simple, the simple prospect of, of grading a sealed video game and how how asinine it really is. Interesting. All right. Well, there you go. Um, cool. Uh, do we have anything else we want to cover for tonight's show or do we think that's good? Um, I think we, let's see. 
Ronnie did have a, lot, a, a few other comments. There are quite um, a few comments to go through. So he said, um, "We were talk I was talking about the fact that I think that action figures are next. <laughs> he said, don't put that evil on me. I collect action figures. <laughs> I'm just saying, Ronnie, I, I feel it. I could be wrong. I just feel it. I just feel like that. It, I feel, and again, here's the caveat. If they're not, if, if this story that I'm talking about doesn't blow up and CNN and Forbes and CNBC and the mainstream doesn't pick it up and start blasting these guys, if there are no indictments, if nothing, if, if basically if there's no consequence, I'm saying I think action figures very well could be next. If there is a consequence and these guys get, get taken down, uh, then, you know, all bets are off. Who knows what the next bubble will be? And the next bubble could very well be uh, created not by people that are nefarious, but just good, goodness to honest speculators who make bubbles all the time. <laughs> so that, 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 that happens. Uh, people do that. And that doesn't, that's not necessarily market manipulation. That's hype. Just hype, you know, Marvel bump, stuff like that. Stuff happens and, and stuff gets way overvalued. Um, and then Ronnie mentions, it bothers me that the most common games are going for so much. There you go. You're hitting the nail right on the head. These are not rare games. This is not, uh, what is it, like sports stadium or whatever it is. It's the, because there's two different versions I know. Like it's the kind of Olympics game that, that Nintendo made. It's super, super rare. One version of it is super, super rare. The other version is like kind of rare, but one is super, super rare. Everybody knows it's like super duper rare. Um, and also with that, uh, keep in mind, we've, we've mentioned this on the show. What a games does not do population reports. And that right off the right, right off the top, right, right there, you should know something's wrong. They should be doing population reports at the very least. And if they want, if they want to, they want to get rid of a lot of this, this, these accusations, they need to start doing population reports. They absolutely need to do population reports. It, it, it's, I can't, I, it's hard for me to understand how people can put so much money into this when they don't have population reports, because then you, you really are uneducated. You have no idea how many copies are out there. WADA does. WADA does. But you as, as the buyer, you have no idea how many of those games are actually out there and graded like that. You just have to kind of take them at their word because they don't do population reports. Uh, he also mentioned that Earthbound, he says, was near $300 a year or two ago. And I, I assume you mean loose, which is crazy. I, I know one of the other things about... Um, Earthbound, as far as a sealed copy, it came in an unusual box. It's like an oversized box. So I can see in that respect why one of the reasons that, that Earthbound has become so valuable. But one thing about Earthbound is it's not particularly rare. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things that the market has decided to make valuable. And as far as I can tell, it's pretty organic. Collectors just started saying Earthbound is worth this amount of money for whatever reason. People pay for it. And that's like normal collectors. They pay these crazy prices for it. So, um, but it, but at the same time, it, it's also kind of an example of how speculators and hype get into it. Because my understanding is Earthbound, uh, the card itself is really not that rare. It really isn't, you know, um, but it's just, it's just got an insane value for whatever reason. He also said, don't get me started on target exclusives. Um, well, that's, that's like I, I said, you know, earlier in the show, I said that, 
yeah, I decided to focus on, you know, that cosmic legion. Um, but, you know, Todd McCarlin was talking about that new Batman, the year two figure that he's got coming out. If you're curious about that, it does look to be a pretty cool action figure and it is going to be a target exclusive and it's theoretically going live tomorrow. Um, I will not be bothering because I've already had weird anxiety, like whatever, <laughs> thinking about sitting there hitting the refresh, trying to get one. Cause I'd love to get one. Cause I love Todd's artwork. The figure looks really cool. I'm a big Batman fan. It's the classic, you know, blue and gray with the gold behind the bat emblem. Like, that's awesome, but you know it, it's it's an online target exclusive. What are the chances I'll be able to get one? Probably the zero to none. So that that particular one, they're not going to have in stores at all. I think they might have some in stores as well, but it's just it's. It, he said it is a target exclusive, and he said it is going live tomorrow. And, and it sounds like it's a part of some geek event or something they're doing online. Like the Blade, like the Blade Funko that supposedly was being, it was a like a Walgreens exclusive, actually on the Walgreens website. Like, how does that even work? If, if you say it's a Walgreens exclusive, shouldn't it be on the Walgreens website? The only, <laughs> the only Marvel one that's been on the Walgreens website this entire time that you could buy is a Marvel 80th anniversary um captain marvel not the blonde haired brie larson one but the original the dude captain marvel who had the energy bands that he banged together or whatever um that's the only one that that one's been on there since forever no one wants it they keep discounting it it's still there if you want to buy that one go get it it's on the walgreens website it's probably for sale by now or on clearance um the blade one supposedly is part of that special event I, the first time I actually saw it was on Mercari and then later on eBay already marked up. It was the first time I actually saw it. I don't know where the hell you were supposed to get it. Supposedly a Walgreens exclusive, but the Walgreens website never had it. And I didn't hear that they had it in stores either. So who knows where the hell it came from. But supposedly the Walgreens exclusive blade, you can now buy it for probably twice what the going rate was whenever the hell it went on the website, whatever website that was, you can get it on Mercari and eBay. 40 bucks. Yeah. 40 that bucks is crazy out. the way some of those exclusives uh, work and everything like that. So, you know, I, I still go to Target looking for those uh, Kenner Marvel Legends because I still haven't found Wave 3. And uh, I still run into, a, 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 occasionally I run into a figure from Wave 1 or Wave 2, uh, but I still haven't found any Wave wave 3 figures of the, the Kenner Marvel Legends. But I do, I still, I still look for them. I still look at for them. But I, I don't look for the stuff online. I, I, I want to, I'm under the thrill of the hunt and I, I go to the physical store. I'm just old school that way. And then um, regarding that repo cart swap that Ronnie was talking about, he said, uh, we had folks try to pull that on us at Game Exchange all the time. But they sure as hell got away with it at GameStop. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you're saying you had actual experience with that. And I do wonder about that a lot with this this crazy trend of the sealed games. Because, again, you can't you, – you don't know what's in there. What prevents the person from just wrapping it, you know, or having it professionally wrapped, you know? What? Nothing. I mean, I, I, that's not a rhetorical question. It's like nothing prevents somebody from doing that. I, I would love to hear Wada explain, like, how do you account for that? 
How? There's no answer to that question. It has nothing to do with all these crazy accusations. Okay. As far as the collusion between collectors, by the way, and I, I do put that in quotes, quote, collectors, uh, graders and auction houses. Don't even have to go there. I don't even have to go there. And I can make that accusation all day long. How the fuck do you know what's in there? <laughs> you don't. It's not rhetorical. You don't. By definition, you don't. Because if you break the seal, you break the value because you're grading the seal. It's asinine. Again, I wish I could bring back uh, his comment there. Uh, David Mott says there's a lot of passion tonight. Indeed, David. There, there often is here at the Retro Rogues Live. Uh, guilty as charge. Uh, and David Mott says, my takeaway from tonight is Eric does not like graded games. <laughs> and uh, Dave, David, the, the, the way it's being done now, I don't like. Because I, 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 I think you've, you've been uh, you know, listening or watching the show long enough, David Mott, that you know I, I, I kind of was excited about this at first. I kind of thought this was something that would be neat to talk about just from a fan perspective. But now I feel like I have to go at it more as like a journalist. You know what I mean? Uh, that there's a story here and um, it's not good. It's not good. And again, it's it, the factory sealed thing. The, the more and more I think about it, the more I feel like it's just bogus. It, there's just no way to prevent that kind of fraud. I, I could literally go to the games that I have, the, the, the modern games, and have them rewrapped. Who, who's to say they're not pristine mint video games? You open the seal to check, you've broken the value. I just don't see how you get over that. You know, I don't see how you get over that. And then uh, David Watts also asked, did I ever, did I ever get the Cyclops figure? No, because Cyclops is part Cyclops is part of what I call Wave Zero, which is the two packs that were came up, you know, they were like exclusive, like on Hasbro Pulse or whatever. Although I've heard that actually uh, Walmart carries them now. By the way, that is interesting when it comes to exclusives, Dave. A lot of these exclusives have a time on them, so they don't remain exclusive forever. So like, for instance, Hasbro Pulse, did these two packs and my understanding is you can get them at Walmart now. So they are available at Walmart, those two packs and uh, Cyclops came in what I call that wave zero, but Cyclops is supposed to be reissued on his own card by himself for wave three. And I haven't seen any wave three yet, David Motts. And I'm definitely looking for them because I want Cyclops for sure. And, and, I, and by the way, I love that. That's the classic look of Cyclops that I grew up loving when I thought Cyclops was basically one of the best characters there was there was a time i really liked that and hollywood jackson says don't break the seal until your wedding night <laughs> indeed hollywood jackson indeed uh, that's the best way to do it <laughs> oh and david Moss says he can give me one if if, if i want uh david uh, i would appreciate that but again part of the fun for me and i say this truly part of the fun for me is the thrill of the hunt I like to go to the stores and I like having a reason to, cause, cause the thing is I shop at target a lot. Like I even shop for groceries there quite often, or I'll just go there to get some, you know, some clothes, some new socks, whatever. And every time I go, I go to the toy section. So it's kind of part of the joy for me is the thrill of the hunt, but I do appreciate that a lot, David Motts. It's a very nice offer, but, but I like going to the store. I'm, I'm crazy that way. I'm old school. And David Motts says, I get it. He gets it. He gets it. He understands. Totally understands. 
thrill of the hunt, Dave. It's all about the thrill of the hunt. All right. Well, there you go. Um, do we have uh, any other comments that we want to cover on the Rogue Scholar? Do we have any other topics we want to cover? No, I think I think we're good. We're almost at the two-hour mark. So. All right. Okay. Well, let's just go ahead and wrap this up then. I want to uh, thank you for hopefully watching or listening to this episode of the uh, Retro Rogues Live. Um, let's see here. I usually promote Kirby Tees, but tonight I'm going to promote something a little different. So uh, we were talking about independent creations. We're talking about independent creators. Uh, Al Sparrow was actually in the chat earlier this evening. So I thought I'd encourage everyone to go out and check out redskirtsonline.com. If you haven't read it, the entire first volume or season one, as we call it, of Where No Woman Has Gone Before is available on there uh, in a webcomic format. Um, definitely go over there and uh, check that out. Um, it's a uh, basically a love letter to all science fiction, uh, essentially, but it did start off as a, a Star Trek parody. Um, but if you're a fan of science fiction, television series, and movies, basically from the 60s to the 80s, I think you'll really enjoy uh, Red Skirts. So definitely check that out um, when you get a chance, uh, redskirtsonline.com. We are working on volume two or season two. It will be starting before you know it, before you know it. So uh, definitely if you get a chance, um, go over there and check that out over on the website. So that's what I wanted to plug for this evening. So. Very cool. Um, and I, I will give my endorsement of Red Skirts as well. It's it's a great story, great books. Definitely check it out. And then I'm actually wearing actually a Red Skirts uh, shirt. Actually, this is actually the command shirt that says uh, Flarket. Uh, actually, on the back of the shirt. Anyhow, but this is the this is the leader, the command emblem here on the front, and then it's got a saying on the back which just says Flarket. Um, but you can get those actually at Kirby Tees. <laughs> that's that's over at the Kirby Tees website. Um, but definitely um, check it out. Uh, I feel that uh, Al Sparrow um, really kind of created something kind of magical with these characters that he created. I think if you're a science fiction fan, if you love comedy, um, if you love world building, I think you'll really, really enjoy um, Red Skirts. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, and then Al Sparrow says, yay. Um, <laughs> There you go. Indeed, Yay. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Al, actually, Al actually does too. He does a really great uh, series, which is actually featured actually when we did our uh, our cancer benefit 24-hour event. Actually, it was for uh, D. Um, we actually, actually rebroadcast some of his episodes of um, This Got Made. You can go over to YouTube and check those out. Um, this got made is absolutely hilarious. Um, but, uh, it's Carlton Tedley, uh, is the host and it's kind of like in the actor's studio and you can see the puppet there of Carlton and he actually <laughs> question, he actually does these interesting kind of retrospective of these different comic books that got made and they're absolutely hilarious. So definitely check out this got made. Um, or I think that's, how, is that how you said Al, this got made? Um, uh, over on uh, YouTube, they're absolutely hilarious. So, well, Al says, "Don't give me any ego trips." <laughs> Al, of course, we're going to give you ego trips. You do great work, brother. Great stuff. And he said, "Yes, you were correct." There you go. This got made. Check it out on YouTube. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. I think he's done like uh, two seasons. Actually, he and uh, 
his uh, wife, Michelle, I think they've done two seasons or three seasons. It's, it's one of the two or one of the three, whatever. Anyhow, go check it out if you haven't seen it. And if you have, and you might actually be behind on some episodes, definitely go check it out anyway. So. And he says the archive is at studiofugazi.com. So, yep. so fugazi.com. Check it out. All right. There you go. Cool. That's it for me. Um, I want to thank my great co-host, uh, the great Eric Alexander, for always being on here and providing his unique perspective and point of view on all the fun topics we like to talk about here on the show. Eric, please tell the folks, hopefully watching or listening at home, where they can learn more about you on the interweb. I am most active on Twitter, so you can get find me there at basegod14 at B-A-S-S-G-O-D-1-4. Uh, that's also the official Twitch. That's also the official YouTube right now. So if you make comments on any of those platforms, more likely than not, I'm going to be the one responding to you there. Um, my DMs are open on Twitter. Again, that's where I'm most active. So you can always DM me um, wide open if you have some rumors, if you have some stories you want us to take a look at, if you even want us to maybe take a look at a particular show. We haven't done reviews in a long time, but if you want us to take a look at something, uh, we're definitely open to it. But of course, if you have any collectible news uh, regarding comics, trading cards, uh, action figures, uh, video games, any of that kind of stuff, uh, let us know. And particularly with an indie emphasis, uh, we do want to uh, do more and more indie stuff on this show. And uh, the one criticism I hear from people about like, well, why don't you do more indie stuff? It's because you can't find it. It's, there's not like a big, nice clearinghouse of finding independent stuff. So we're going to have to rely on the rogues gallery and, and people like you to find stuff for us to talk about. So we really appreciate that. If you will do that. Uh, as far as some of the, the, the wrap up comments that we got here, uh, Hollywood Jackson said uh, great show guys. Bye, everyone. Bye, Miss Jane. And uh, speaking of Miss Jane, she said, uh, very informative show. Thanks for the heads up. Appreciate the fact that you, you're you lacking the knowledge. Uh, David Mott says, good night, all. And don't forget to get those old games graded. <laughs> but I'm going to leave Ronnie with the last word because he says, just be thankful you don't collect G.I. Joe Classified. And with that, we'll leave Ronnie with the last word.